Well, isn't that fun? I mean, first of all, give it up for the band today, man. Just the way they're leading us and, and Paul singing today and all of our team, man, love those guys. That song was a little creepy. Um, so just give you that. It's okay if you felt that way. I felt that way, and I'm the pastor here. So it was like, but you know what? Let's just run with it. Uh, and then our theme this year, if you're new to Gateway, uh, Gateway was founded in the 90s, and so we're going back to some 90s themes uh, over the last few weeks, over the summer. And uh, in case you didn't know, uh, this is only live if you're in the room, uh, but we do have some Super Mario Brothers set up in the lobby if you want to go play, kind of reminisce on some of that on your way out. We have a gift for all of you. But really, uh, it's, it's so much better better creatively to actually participate with your hands and do it as opposed to what some of us have done over the last few years and just watched everybody else be creative. And what we want to challenge everybody in this series is what is your next great adventure? And where is God guiding you and leading you? And, and the first weeks, John led us through our mission and taking risks. And, and today I get to talk about one of my favorite things, which is creativity uh, and, and really understanding what that means. So I want to kick us off with a quick story. Uh, so this last summer, my wife and I went on a, a vacation and uh, how do I know it was a vacation and not a family trip? Because if a vacation means what? No kids. It was awesome. But like any good parent, we called back in to check on our kids. And like any good kids, they didn't want to talk to us. And usually our baby, so we know, most of you know this, we know we have five kids. We have a large family. By the way, I'm Carlos, in case I haven't introduced myself yet. Uh, I'm the pastor here. And so uh, we, we called our youngest because Max is a sweetheart, right, when he wants to be. And, uh, he, and we call him, he's like, Dad, and he wants to talk, and Mom, and he talks our ear off, and then we want to go back to our vacation, uh, but not this year. This year we called and Max didn't want to talk to us. Max wouldn't even come to the phone. He was staying with somebody in our church and their family. And uh, here's what happened. This family did the perfect thing for our seven-year-old this year. You know, we have a 21-year-old, we have an 18-year-old, both are in college. You know, and then, then we have our 16-year-old our and she's self-sufficient. She doesn't need anybody right? She doesn't need anybody. She's just going to change the world by herself. And you know what? She probably will, right? And then we have our middle schooler, Zoe, and then we have our baby, Max. And what this family did is they literally did this. They gave him a box. Now, when I was seven, I wouldn't know what to do with the box, but Max knows what to do with the box. And not just a box. I mean, they gave him colored pencils. They gave him uh, markers, which we never give Max markers. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, they gave him scissors. They gave him, all, they gave him tape. Uh, and they gave him a box. They gave him, all, they gave him construction paper. And for six days, Max was lost in his own world of creativity. And after six days, he didn't have time to talk to mom and dad on vacation because Max built an entire city. They had to go get more boxes for the kid. He built streets and he built skyscrapers. And when we got home, this family did the awesome thing that every parent wants. They boxed up all of the boxes and brought them to our house. <laughs> and they're still there because that's Max's prized possession. Max created that. See, all they did was what God does. They gave him the goods. And it was up to him to create something. And, and I, uh, what we want to do, just as a, as a token, I want Dasha to come up. I think Dasha's here. Uh, will you come on up, Dasha? Give it for Dasha. Dasha's a school teacher. As we start back to school, 
And Dasha, what we've done here, one is just you're representing all the teachers that are here and all the kids going back to school. Uh, and so as you represent them, we just had a box full of goodies. And we, sometimes you teach students who are, you know, maybe don't have the resources to bring it. Maybe you need extra resources for your class. So this is a token from us to you as you lead pre-K kids. So you give it up for Dasha and all the teachers who are kicking off this school year. Yeah. Thank you, Dasha. That's what teachers do. They come alongside students just the way God comes alongside us and he gives us this box. It's this mind, it's this heart, it's this body, it's these talents that we naturally have or puts us in positions where we learn other talents or we go to school, we, we, we go to, 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 to college, we get our degrees, we get our master's degrees, all those things and like most of you, you probably aren't doing any work that you paid all that tuition for, but that's okay. That's beyond the point. The point is that God has crafted you in a particular way and that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Over this series, we've been teaching out of Hebrews chapter 11 and what we call the hall of faith and all these people that made a difference in the world. And so we're gonna go back to one of those characters, but we're not gonna go to Hebrews 11. We're gonna go to Exodus, which is in the Old Testament. And we're gonna go to Moses. And here's a little bit of context about Moses. If you haven't been around or you're new to church or you're exploring faith, Moses was pretty much a nobody. He, he, he was an Israelite who, uh, as, as the decrees came down and the Israelites were outgrowing the Egyptians, they were killing Israelite babies. And so his mom put him in the river to protect him. He was found by a young lady who happened to be Pharaoh, the king's daughter, and he was raised in royalty when he was born a slave. He came to know his own identity. He killed an Egyptian who was beating an Israelite, one of the slaves, and then he was cast out. He went out to the middle of nowhere. He was out in the desert, and, and uh, he, 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 was, he was found by a family, Mary Zipporah, out in, in, the, in the desert, and he was just living his own life, and he had this burning bush experience where God said, I am taking you back to Egypt, and I'm gonna use you to free your people. He goes back and he frees the people. It's a crazy story. I mean, you've got to go back and read it for yourself. It's pretty amazing. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. But now they're going to what's called the promised land, the land that God intended for these slaves to have in the first place. Because God wants to be in relationship with them. And here's what happens. God is trying to build this place where they're going to have communion, where they're going to have relationship. There's no, there's no buildings because they were slaves. They owned, they owned very little. They didn't, have, they didn't have anything constructed. So God wanted them to construct a place where he could commune with them. So here we go. Exodus verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 1 through 9. We're going to read quite a bit today. I want you to follow along. Here we go. The Lord, this is God, said to Moses, and tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. And these are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, bronze. You might be saying, well, how did these slaves get a hold of all of this? On their way out of Egypt, they took everything they could. Every person took everything they could. And so here we go, verse four, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, and other types of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary. A sanctuary is a building housed for us, for people to commune with God. 
and I will dwell among them and make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So here you have God who's freed all these people and he's given them directives, not suggestions. He's saying, here's what I want you to do. And he's beginning to lay out the plan of what he wants. And what we see here is God is the proverbial designer. He is designing his own house. Like many of you who, bought, who, who have built houses, you have, you're, you're investing all this money so you care about the details. You care about the kitchen. You care about the lighting. You care about every part of that house because you are making an investment and that's where you will live and raise your kids if you have a family or have roommates if that's what you want to do. Or maybe for some of you, it's your investment of your retirement for an Airbnb, but you care about the details. God's the same way. He's constructing a place to be with his children and he cares about the details. And so over the next few chapters, it's chapter after chapter of God giving the details. Here's what I want. And it reminds me a few years ago, my wife and I were selling a house. We were living in North Dallas and Collin County. We were selling our house and, and couples came through and, you know, we're trying to sell the house and move on and get a bigger house for our kids, our growing family. And this family came in and they made the offer we wanted and they gave us above asking price. And I was like, let's sell the house tomorrow before they changed their mind. And then they did the walkthrough. They did all this. Yes, we want the house, no doubt. And then we saw their punch list. And it was like four pages, 180 things they wanted changed in the house. And I looked at them and said, get out of here. I'm not doing all that. I'm trying to get out of this house. If you don't want the house, move on. But they cared about the details. How many times do we care about those details? And here we go to chapter 31. And here's what's pretty amazing. God does this. And the Lord says to Moses, see, which means take a look. Use your eyes. See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him, this is Bezalel, with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, and with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. So, now God has not only the resources, but he has the person in mind to then build this place where they're going to commune together. So you have God caring about the details, God caring about the person who's gonna build the place and build the tabernacle and build this place where there's gonna be communion, this house of connection. So what do we learn from this when we talk about God's creativity? Here's how the points are going to lay out today as, as we talk about the four points. The first one's going to be how, God, how we see God in creativity. And the second half, it's going to be how we, how you and I then engage with God based on God's qualities. All right? So here's the first one. God is creative, and we are invited to join in the process. God is created, and we are invited to join in the process. I, I, I love this, this passage. It's, a, it's one of the psalmists in Psalm 104. He says this about God and his creativity. He says, there is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. And there the ships go to and fro 
and Leviathan, which you form to frolic there. We don't use that word very often. To frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food in the proper time. And when, and when you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, God, they are satisfied with good things. And when you hide your face, they are terrified. And when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. And when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the faces of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. This is a human speaking of God and all of his creativity. And you got to keep in mind, God is creative. Even the story I just laid out, how Moses went away. He was deserted because he killed a person and how he freed the people. It's all creative. I mean, think about Think about history. Think about countries, how countries are formed or how people found freedom. There wasn't normally out of creativity. Usually people find freedom. People find a way out of a country or remove themselves from, from an overlord through war, through violence. God used creativity. Here's the list. The burning bush calls out to Moses. Who thinks of this stuff? Pharaoh gives permission after a plague of locusts and frogs flood the land. Water turns red like blood. Hail destroys the land. All these plagues, these creative ways. And, and then they get cornered up against the Red Sea. So now you're, you're seeing this water. And, and what does Moses do? He takes a stick and puts it over the water and the water divides. Talk about God's creativity. And then they follow a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then they're fed, they're fed in the middle of a desert because when they wake up in the morning, there's food, manna comes from heaven and feeds them every day. See, God chooses to use creativity because it ignites our faith. There are some things we just cannot explain. I, I can't explain it. And yet it intrigues me. It, it, it warrants my heart to say, how did this happen? What is really taking place? And so here you have God saying, yeah, we're going to build an actual building that people can build. And yet we're going to do it in a creative, different way. It's not just a regular old building. It's a specific building with certain colors and elements and shapes and garments and wood. And, and, and what do we glean from God? That, that he's a master designer. He's an architect. God has a vision for how the world should look. We have quite a few architects here at Gateway Church. We have a couple that are central campus and some at, at south, a couple here at, at north and what I love about talking to some of these architects who are at our church is that they don't normally gloat about the buildings that they helped create. You have no idea that many of the buildings you see were really designed and created by a handful of people in our city who had a vision for what the city would look like. And that vision comes to life. And that's who God is. He's like, he's this architect. And, and when we say yes, when we say yes to the creative process, we're saying yes to God's creative heart. When we say yes that God can use us, when we say yes to the great adventure of being creative, we're now given permission to partner with God in what could be. And how many times do we get tired of how the world looks, but how many times do we do something about it? 
We want somebody else to do it. We want somebody else to fix it. And what if God has gifted you? And what if God is calling you? And what if you, high school student, right now at 16 years old, why couldn't you create something that could change the world? College student, why can't you, while you're learning about something, design something, create something? Be an entrepreneur. Why are we waiting? Who are we waiting for? Who needs to give you permission when you are already fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb and gifted? I know it may not be perfect, but when God is creative and invites us to this process, we have to say yes. When we say yes, we get pulled into God's creative heart and into the possibilities of what could be. So God is creative, number one. Number two, God calls us. And our response is, do we accept that call. See, I, I remember saying this passage that we were reading, and you, I remember I told you there's a lot of directives. Do this, do this. I, went, I want this color of this. I want this kind of wood. I want gold. I want silver. God is being really directive, specific of what he wants because he cares. And yet there's this little passage in the middle of all that that really also helps us understand God's heart. And it's this, Exodus 25, right in the middle of it. Verse two and three, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering and you are to receive the offering from me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. You see how in the middle of all these directives, God is asking for a choice that we, we still get to choose. And I know as some of you are exploring God, we think that God says, this is the way it is. And no, God, there's this interaction because it's about real relationship. And who wants to be in a relationship where you tell somebody what to do all the time and maybe they only reciprocate it because you asked them to? What would happen, sir, if you didn't plan a date night? Would, you ever, would your wife ever respond by planning one? What would happen, ma'am, if you stopped cleaning up your child's room? Would your child ever take ownership and clean it? See, there's things we want because relationship is dual. It's two parts. And God is saying, yeah, this is what I want. And this is my dream, but I also want you to want it. I want you to want it. I was doing marriage, marriage counseling, premarital counseling, and I was a young pastor. And I, I did something that was really dumb, and, which just happens all the time, by the way. And, but I was 24 and it was really dumb. And I was talking to this couple and they're only a couple of years younger than me and they're getting married and they're so in love and they're so excited and they're planning this wedding. And uh, I had this vibe when I was talking with them, this like, okay, something's not right. And I was just praying under my breath, God, what is going on? And I asked this question. I asked this question to the guy. I said, what is it exactly that you want? What, what is it you want in, in a future spouse? If she didn't exist and he gave me the list, I said, does she embody that? Oh my gosh, she's perfect. It's what I've been praying for and my mom's been praying for and my dad's been praying for. I'm like, that's awesome. And I asked the girl, tell me, what is it you want? And she told me her list of what she wanted. And I thought, that's not this guy. <laughs> I didn't say it though. I promise. But I did ask, does he embody all of that? She's 22 years old. She looks at me and she says, yeah, he embodies most of that and it's great. And we're going to have, no, 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 hold on. Does he, does he embody that? And then the dumb thing. I said, who do you know who embodies that? Because I'm expecting her to say my dad 
my professor, my grandpa, she says the guy's best friend. This is what I felt like sitting there as a 24-year-old young. And in my side, I had my head, I'm like, what the, I don't know what to do right now. And apparently the young man didn't either. Walks out of the room, they didn't get married, right? And I felt really bad. And yeah, all the other things that came with that. And about two months later, they both sent me an email. This was back when email was like AOL, dial up. And uh, they both thanked me. Yeah, it was a mistake on my part, but it was probably the gift they needed, right? That question did not come from me. That came from a prompting by God partnering with me, even as a pastor, to ask a creative question to get to the heart of the matter. See what I'm saying? How even in our mistakes, when we partner with God, something beautiful can come out of that. Now they're both married. They have great families. They don't even think about each other. But sometimes we have to take the risk. And so I want to ask you this. When was the last time you were prompted to do something where you felt you were supposed to do it and you ignored that voice? When was the last time you were prompted to do something and you listened to that voice? And even more importantly, are we even listening at all? Because God's calling you and me to do creative things. And we're going to get to what that looks like. What does that really mean? Number three. God gifts craftsmanship. So that's, the, that's the, how God's wired. God gives craftsmanship, and we are wired to contribute. We're wired to contribute. Exodus 31, verse 2 through 5. See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, uh, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills to make artistic design for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. God literally wired this man to do all these things. And you know what's beautiful about that? This man was not Moses. Moses was the leader, but he wasn't called to be the craftsman. I might be called to be the pastor, but it doesn't mean I have the answers to everything we need in our community. The answers to our community are within our community because God's calling you and he's calling me. Moses isn't called to be everything to everybody. He's called to lead people. And, and, and there's a book called When Helping Hurts, and, and they use this phrase in this book, and it's called asset mapping. Asset mapping. And here's what's really important about that. It comes from this, this, uh, this work from Northwestern University out of Chicago. It's called Asset-Based Community Development. And I love the description on this because it's talking about communities and how gifted every community is. And here's why that's important, because every community is important. And every community has giftings. You can be black, you can be white, you can be brown. You can be in a mixed community. You can be in a community that speaks a different language than English. You can be in a community that's highly educated, a community that's under-resourced. And yet every community has giftings and talents and can make a difference. And so here's, here's the description. ABDC is a methodology for the sustainable development of communities based on their strengths and potentials. 
It involves assessing the resources, skills, and experience available in a community, organizing the community around issues that move its members into action, and the determining and taking appropriate action. This method, this method uses the community's own assets, what God has gifted you with, how God has wired you, how God has trained you, those assets and resources as the basis for development and empowers the people of the community by encouraging them to use what they already possess. Do you know what you already possess? Why do you think we want you to engage with your neighbors? Why do you think we want you to love the people around you? Because you have a gift that your community needs. I tell these stories all the time. My grandmothers were poor, didn't have a whole lot, but you know what they had to offer? My grandma Tamasa, she offered the community tamales and everybody wanted her tamales. And don't you thank God for a good tamale? Forget just Christmas time. You're missing out if you only eat it at Christmas time. Good tamales. And then she found out she could make money because she would say, mijo, the white people pay a lot of money for my tamales. I was like, grandma, that's a gift. You're supposed to give it away. She goes, well, if they're paying, I'm going to take it. But every social scientist agrees that every community has a richness to it. And if we could tap into that, what could it look like? The question is if, because Darren Hardy says this, the biggest difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is that successful people are willing to do what unsuccessful people are not. It's taking that action. And I know it's been hard the last couple of years to take action. I know we have found these, these times where we do a lot and then we don't wanna do anything. I have found myself, I shared this morning with our production team, we're here early in the morning, and I share with them, there are times, I'm a pretty driven person, I, I am a type A, but I don't know what happened during the pandemic. I, I used to work out, I used to have abs, now I have an ab, that's it. <laughs> I used to work out and everything shut down, I thought I'm going to work out all the time now, and I haven't pushed any weight at all. I used to do these things, and now I find myself just wanting to sit on the couch sometimes. Tell my kids they can eat whatever they want. Like, what happened? Something happened in the collective psyche where we now have these rhythms of highs and lows. Go to church, don't go to church. Engage with my friends, stay by myself. And some of that has been healthy for some of us, and yet some of us have created unhealthy patterns over the last few years. So as we ask you what your next great adventure is, I really want you to ask yourself that question. You know, over the last few weeks, we've had this, this resource. And on your way out, you can pick up one of these. And it's also online. But we didn't put this catalog together of classes and ways to connect and ways to grow your faith and ways to serve just for the fun of it. We did it because we want you to start taking a step towards your next great adventure. You know, the, there, there, there is the fall catalog. We want you to belong and grow and heal and to serve. These aren't just words and categories. They're ways that allow us to take the steps that God wants us to take. We have a class called Alpha. For those of us asking a lot of existential questions about why we exist and why would there be a need for God, it's a safe place for you to ask all the questions that maybe you didn't think you could ask in a faith community. And it's totally okay. We have classes to, to grow your faith, to, to understand the redemptive story in Scripture because many of you have been around church, but you really don't know how to read your Bible. Guess what? There's no shame around that. There's a class for that. There's a way for you to step into that without feeling less than 
by taking on that very thing God is asking you to do. And at the very least, on our homepage, when you scroll all the way down, there's a section, that's a little icon that says digging deeper. This week's message has a digging deeper. If you're wondering what your talents are, all you gotta go is digging deeper, click on it, and there's gonna be some resources for you. There's a couple of surveys on there this week where you can go and say, well, how has God wired me? Some prompt questions to help you engage. What is your next adventure? Because it's not about you just sitting there sedentary, filled with gifts. It's about you taking action. And there's a famous scripture, a passage of scripture in the Bible. It's just a few words and it's your response to God's calling, to God's prompting. And it's Isaiah 6, 8, where Isaiah says, hear my Lord, send me. Is that something we can say when God calls you to use your gift? Here I am, God, use me. That's what we desire for you, to use creative ways to make a difference. I grew up in a really creative culture. So I'm, I'm half Mexican, half Puerto Rican. I'm actually more than that. I'm also Irish and French and all these other kind of things, but as you know, whatever. But mostly Mexican and Puerto Rican. The Puerto Rican culture is so creative. Like you can be in my grandma's house and there's no instruments and music will start because they grab things from the pantry, they grab from around and they just start playing music and dancing. It's so amazing. I remember the first time I was in Puerto Rico and uh, I was in the kitchen and my grandmother burnt the rice. And I'm like, oh, my grandmother burnt the rice. And my dad said, he looked over and he goes, what are you looking at? Grandma burnt the rice. We call her Pita. Pita burnt the rice. He goes, oh, no, 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 she didn't burn the rice. It's called pegao. I was like, pegao, pegao, pegao. It literally means stuck. Something is stuck. Like who wants to eat something that's stuck on a pan? And then I saw my aunts and uncles fight for the pegao because it was their favorite part of the meal. That's where I knew I was really an American. Because these Puerto Ricans are fighting over the pegao. And you know what they do? They put it on a plate and they put, they cook an egg and put it on top of the burnt rice. And they're fighting over it and they're eating it for breakfast. And I'm like, that's disgusting. And then my dad looked at me and says, this is part of our culture. We've learned how to survive by being creative. And I want something off the shelf like many of us do. And yet the thing that God has put in you isn't gonna come off a shelf. The thing that God, is gonna, God has put in you is gonna take some work. It might be stuck inside of you. And you need to do the work of scraping it out, putting a fresh egg on top of it and watch what other people will want the very thing that you didn't want initially. Many of you don't know this, but when we do these messages, there are dozens of people who get to look at the message. Uh, I didn't grow up in a culture like this. I got up on a Sunday morning, nobody knew what I was gonna preach and I would preach it. But I love this process because it allows a lot of people to be creative. It allows our ASL people from all of our campuses who do, who do American Sign Language to prepare for the weekend and, and really be able to minister for those who are hard of hearing. It allows our production team and allows for theological context to correct things, to say, hey, this, is the, this, was, this story would be better. Or hey, you, we're using this scripture out of context. There's a lot of accountability and I like that. One of our people, here at North Campus, Julia Carlisle. She is one of our grow pastors. And when she read it, she was, so, she was just really excited. Her creativity came out. So much so that I didn't even write the ending of today's message. Julia did. And she didn't even mean to. She just sat there out of creativity and in time with God and just wrote. 
And it was so poignant, I wanted to close this message with it today. So these words are one of your pastors here at North Julia Carlisle, her words. We are made in the image of a creative God. Creativity was his first act that we see in scripture. Creativity is one way we look like God in the world. Mankind screwed this gift up pretty quickly using their ability to create, to try to become God instead of reaching the world with him. What is redemptive about this quality? God still creates something out of nothing. He brings life from death. He is making all things new, new creation. And we are not original creators, but co-creators with God. Creativity is a way we worship and an image forth God. You don't have to be an artist to be creative. It doesn't have to be flashy or world altering to honor God. When we delight in our God-given creativity, God is honored. And when we use it to love others, God is honored. Our creative abilities shine forth even in the seemingly mundane things of life. When we make a good meal for a friend or family, when a parent joins in the imaginative world with their kids, when a barista makes the perfect latte to warm the heart of her customer, when a husband dreams up a way to surprise his wife for her birthday, when someone works hard to make a home that people feel welcome to fellowship, and when someone pens just the right words in a card for a friend who is grieving, when a teacher comes up with a new way for their students to connect with and get excited about the material. And ultimately, we get to be part of the recreation of this world, helping to restore what has been broken in the way we use our gifts to build the church. When we love the outcast, serve and pray for our enemies and share the miracle of God's transforming work in a world that so desperately needs it, we get to partner with God in his creative work of making beautiful things out of a broken world. All those words are so powerful. That's the invitation you and I get. God's already creative. God already has a plan. He already has a vision. And all he's saying, will you come? Will you accept the call? Can we be like Isaiah and say, God, here I am. Use me. If you're at home, if you're in the room, we just close your eyes as we pray together. This isn't something that's super religious. It's just a way for you to be introspective about the questions we're asking you today. God, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for my new friends, people who've been here for a long time. And God, as we ask these questions about your role in our life, as we ask these questions, not about your creativity, but our part of the process, will you answer these questions by tugging our heart? Will you give us creative ideas that we didn't think of on our own? God, as we do this, we, we understand we're not by ourselves, that you are with us and you are guiding us and you are for us. And because of that, we can rest and know that every single one of us, man, woman, rich, poor, black, white, from this country, from another country, that you have deposited something in us. It's our job to recognize it and utilize it in partnership with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.